0: Amdhaya Shri Krishna Jaitanya Prabhulitya Randa Shri Alvaita Gada Dara Shri Vasari Hello, and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self care in the age of resistance. Today, I want to talk about consequences and attachment and getting your warrior on. Since I've started this podcast, I've been thinking about Krishna and Arjun, and I've held off talking about it for a number of reasons. It seemed too big, too esoteric, too specialized. I'm not a Gita scholar. I read the Bhagavad Gita in college, and then again, pieces of it during my yoga teacher training but it's heady stuff. So this is a little bit of a stretch for me in that way, but it keeps on coming up for me. So I figured, you know, what the hell, let's dive in. I imagine many of you listening already have no idea what I'm talking about. So let me back up. The Bhagavad Gita is a Hindu scripture written as poetry. It's 700 verses of a larger epic called the Mahabharata. The main focus of the story is a dialogue between Arjuna, who's a prince, and and Lord Krishna, who in this story is a charioteer, but that's like a whole separate thing. The prince is facing a war, and this will be a really elementary distillation of the facts here, but the prince is facing a war between the good guys and the bad guys. He doesn't want to fight at all because he's torn about the relative merits of war and all the consequences that come with it. Maybe he's a pacifist, or maybe he's confused or lazy, In any case, he is counseled by Lord Krishna to do his duty as a warrior. So it's obviously about a lot more than that. It's about self and soul and about the moral and ethical entanglements of life in general and self-realization. And it's in Sanskrit. So everything is a translation. Everything I've read in English, obviously, is a translation, which leads to differences in interpretation and meaning. All of that said, there is a main allegory at play that has to do with choice and action, and outcomes. And that's the part that keeps coming up for me. I am, despite occasional outbursts of righteous opinion, not a taker of stands, meaning I have my opinions, but I tend to be adaptable. I'll fight it out for a little bit, but at the end of the day, I've usually decided that my being right is less important than You know, whatever it is, then moving the project forward or then peace in the room. I might disagree with something, but if it becomes clear that my opinion is really slowing down progress, then I'll figure out a way to be fine with it. So you can see how I could align myself with Arjuna in this whole let's not go to war and kill people thing because it's complicated and there are consequences. And I've had my political leanings and I vote, but I've not been part of campaigns or gone door to door with pen in hand and heart on sleeve I kind of let all of that take care of itself until recently that felt like the right way to do things for me. Then the election came and I was in shock and then the inauguration and I was stunned. And now every day I'm in some state of surreal disbelief or sadness or anger or numbness. And we've talked about all of that here. And I felt, as I've mentioned to you guys before, for the first time ever, called. Called to use my voice for something other than marketing and selling zippers and shoelaces. But, and this is where Arjuna comes in, I am not by my nature a fighter. I mean, I've got fight in me, obviously, but it's more of a passive type fight. So this seems like a good moment just for a second to caveat all this me talk. I talk about myself and my experiences, not because they should matter to you particularly, but because they're my way of experiencing the world around me, And my way of understanding the larger human experience, even if that is limited, I imagine that if I am feeling some way, that some of you are feeling some way too. And this way, when I'm talking to you guys, I don't say it's hard for you to do something or when you feel this way, because I don't know you, but I imagine if I share my experience that you might relate to it. Okay. I hope all that makes sense. We'll move on. Back to Arjuna. Arjuna is feeling some resistance going into battle for many reasons. He knows people on the other side. He's concerned that killing is wrong, and after all, he could also lose. And Krishna basically tells him, don't sweat it. It's not your job to worry about those things. You are a warrior, and so your job is to war. Don't worry about losing, that part is out of your control. And maybe killing is wrong and you'll feel guilty or suffer the consequences of karma. But choosing not to go to war will also have consequences. And you are a warrior, so your job is to war. If you choose not to do your job, that also has consequences. So just do your job and let everything else get sorted out by someone else. Don't be attached to the outcome, win or lose. Don't be attached even to the consequences of your actions. Instead, focus on what your duty is to do and do it. And in the words of Nike, Krishna says, just do it. Here's one translation of the verse. Therefore, without being attached to the fruits of activities, one should act as a matter of duty. For by working without attachment... One attains the supreme. What's important to note is that it discourages action for the sake of gratification. Don't do it because you'll win or don't do it because you'll receive the fruits of that action. Just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Do the thing, whatever it is, to help the society. That's your duty. When you remove ego from the equation, when you remove your attachment to the desired outcome, then you don't worry about the results as much but you're still motivated to action. This is clearly indicated by the fact that Arjuna was told by Lord Krishna to fight the battle and kill people, not to win and get the spoils of war, but for the good of the cause, to beat the bad guys, or to at least fight against the bad guys. So here's more of that same translation. As the ignorant perform their duties with attachment to results, the learned may similarly act but without attachment for the sake of leading people on the right path. So when you go to choose to do something, you'll either do it or not do it. There's no in between, but that you can choose. You can choose to either do it or not do it. The result, however, is not in your control. The limit of your choice is whether you fight or you don't fight. The result of the fight is not in your control. Just because you want to win doesn't mean you will win you might lose. But if you're not attached to winning or losing, then you won't be afraid of losing. The argument the Gita is making is don't think about winning or losing. Your job is to fight regardless of the outcome. So the goal then is to do the thing, make the choice, do the work without having a desire for its outcome. This is what desireless action or selfless action is about action performed with indifference to the outcome. This is a little bit like the idea of it's the journey, not the destination, right? It's not about the end point, but about the doing itself. A cross-country road trip isn't about getting to the other side of the country. If that were the only thing that mattered, you could take a plane. Instead, it's about the journey, seeing things along the way, the nation's largest ball of twine, whatever it is. So this is an interesting point about motivation, Why do we keep on writing our postcards if we don't see an immediate change in the outcome of the government or the administration? I made my phone calls this week and nothing changed. How do I stay motivated to do it? Why do it at all? Am I just texting into a void? Am I just making phone calls to a voicemail machine? And part of that is because according to the Gita, I have no right to the fruits of my actions. My job is to do the action, not to get the benefits. Now, you could get the benefits, but the idea here, at least in this teaching, is not to be motivated by the benefit. Do the action because it's the right thing to do, because it's your karma to do. You can desire the result, though there's some disagreement on the idea of desire alone, but we'll save that for now. You might want the result, but that doesn't mean you'll get the result or that you have the right to claim the result. Think of it this way. Everyone in the Olympics wants to do well. They train for years, for their whole lives to perform in one event on one day. They may desire the gold, but that doesn't mean they have a right to it. You can train and practice because you love gold, or you can train and practice because you love the sport. You see the difference there? The result may be the same, but who's going to have a better life in the meantime? So I make my phone calls to my senators and congresspeople, not because they will thank me or because I'll get a gold star or even really because I know that it will make a difference and I will reap the benefits from that, but because it's the right thing to do to speak out. When I lose steam, which I do, it's good then to remember that inaction is also a choice. When I choose not to do something, then I'm not only choosing not to go after the results I want, I'm choosing to go against what is right to do. So in the scenario where I am writing postcards or I am calling people to say, he needs to release his full tax returns or he needs to let us know what his ties with Russia are or whatever it is, I may get demotivated. I may get ground down by the fact that I keep on calling and nothing is changing that is because I'm attached to the results. I am doing the action because I want the result. Right? Like I'm writing the letter, I'm making the call because I want someone to change something on my behalf. If I'm not motivated by the result, by the benefit of the result, if I'm not attached to the outcome, then my motivation never falters because I know it's the right thing to keep on speaking up. Therefore, I keep on speaking up regardless of the outcome. Then if I choose not to make a phone call or write a postcard or do whatever in a day, it's not because well, it doesn't matter, like nobody's listening anyway because I'm not attached to that outcome anymore, right? Theoretically. So I can't be demotivated by not getting the benefits. Instead, if I'm motivated simply by the idea that this is the right thing to do, then it's the right thing to do regardless of if I get a benefit out of it or not. So I may not want to pick up the phone again. And I use this as an example because I hate using the phone and it does feel particularly fruitless for the most part. I may want to skip making this call because, you know, whatever. What difference does it make? Well, what difference it makes is kind of none of my business. My business is to let them know what I agree with or disagree with or oppose or am for. My business is to make that call, not to get a gold star or a reward for doing it. That's my duty as a citizen. Okay, so what have we gotten to here? Basically, that doing the thing is our job. Whatever we are fighting for whatever forces we are facing in battle. Our job is to do the thing over and over. Wake up and do the thing. Have lunch and do the thing. If there are days where doing the thing seems fruitless, it doesn't matter. Just do the thing. Now, of course, there's nuance here. The idea of what is the thing for you is a Big, big discussion. I mean, you could be getting up and doing the thing and you think it's the right thing because someone else told you it was the right thing. But really, it's not your thing. And that's, you know, that's complicated. That's what's called your dharma. We've talked a little bit about that before in episode two, if you want to go back and listen to that. But it's interesting to think about action this way. It's a little bit of a relief, really. Translated to more modern thinking or modern circumstances, it's not my job to do all the things. It's not my job to ensure the outcome. That's not my responsibility. What is my responsibility is to know what my job is and do it. We worry about the outcome without looking at our role in the bigger picture. We're part of something, part of something that has a lot of moving parts, and we can't control all the parts. We can just control one part, our part. That's it. That's what we can do and what we have a responsibility to do. So for me... This is a great perspective to take when I'm coming from a place where I'm not necessarily naturally someone who wants to rock the boat. I'm not totally comfortable in that area, right? I'm not comfortable on the phone. I'm not comfortable making a stink about something, even though I do on occasion, but it usually comes with get internal heat rising in the body and my ears get hot, my cheeks get hot, and I feel it, and then I need to take a nap right? I'm not like naturally a fighter. That said, when I'm not attached to the outcome of the fight, it just makes it easier. And I'm not sure if you guys feel this way, but maybe you do. And it, it's an interesting experiment to play with in terms of your mentality when it comes to keeping the fight going. A lot of times we may feel to to kind of mix all my traditions it may feel like a sisyphusian task we're rolling this rock up the hill we keep on rolling it up the hill i keep on saying to my senators like he has to do this normal thing you know release his taxes or talk about healthcare in the way of a responsible adult or you know whatever it is and yet that can be really exhausting because i'm really looking for the outcome i really want that change and of course i do because i'm human and it's it's human to desire. But if I attach all my actions to a very specific outcome, and then I don't get that outcome, it's way harder to keep on doing those actions. It's way harder to like get up out of bed and do anything. But if I think of it instead as like, well, it's just my job to make these five calls, or it's just my job to make my voice heard. That's all. I'm not responsible for anyone else's interpretation of it. I'm not responsible for the outcome. I can't make anyone do anything else. All I can do is get up and do the work. Do the thing every day, regardless of outcome. There are a lot of things at work here. For the breath practice today, I want to focus on tapping into your inner warrior. I feel like all of that Gita discussion has been a little esoteric, a little philosophical. And what it's really about is to do, to let go and to do. So, this breath practice is about getting prepared to do in a focused and mindful way, of course. So, we're going to do something together called lion's breath. If you've ever done this before, you know it's the one where you make a crazy face. And if you haven't done this before, it's the one where you make a crazy face. Before we get into all of that, I do want to take a moment to thank you for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. As always, if you don't want to miss a single thing, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Pocket Cast. Please do rate the show. Help me spread the love. And if subscriptions aren't your thing, you can always find all the episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. You can talk to me. Talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution, or follow me on Twitter at Y underscore F underscore T underscore R. And you can also hear me every day over at Anchor FM. Download the Anchor app, look for Anchor FM wherever you get your apps and check out a daily version of Yoga for the Revolution and tons of other daily shows on the digital airwaves. Yeah? Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. So lion's breath stretches all the muscles in your face, but it also relieves tension and tightness and improves facial circulation. It's energetic and awakening, but not buzzy and agitating to the mind. Lion's breath is said to help boost confidence. This has to do with the throat chakra. So you can take or leave that chakra part, but know that it's known to help boost confidence. It's a warming breath to better prepare you for action. That's why we're focusing on it here today. Now, the full posture is traditionally done kneeling with the palms on the thighs and the arms outstretched, but you could really do it in any posture as long as your torso is upright. So you can do it seated at home. If you're not a yoga practitioner, you don't wanna roll out the mat, you still wanna try it out. You could do it on your commute if you want to. I mean, you might scare some people nearby, but you know, don't be attached, right? That's not your responsibility. (laughs) I'll talk through what it is and then I'll lead it more slowly so you can play along at home. So whatever your position is, most of the work is done in the face, throat, and lungs. So this is the talk through part. We'll start by breathing in through the nose and then you'll open your mouth big, big, big wide, like at the doctor's office and stretch your tongue out all the way, trying to touch your chin with your tongue really far. And you'll exhale with a sound, it's a ha sound, almost like you're fogging a mirror. At that point, your eyes are wide open and you can look right at your third eye center. That's the point right in between and above your eyebrows. The third eye is said to govern intuition. So here, you're bringing your attention there so your action can be guided by your dharma. It's a little eye crossy, so don't focus too hard or you'll get a headache, so let that be a soft focus. All right, that's the prep. We'll do this a few times. We'll come back to normal breath so you can work up to doing more rounds in a row. But for now, we'll start slow. Take a few moments to deepen the breath and find an even length in the inhalation and exhalation. Bring your awareness to the third eye point as you breathe. Begin to deepen the breath and relax your shoulders down your back. Take a deep inhale through the nose and open your mouth as you exhale. Stick your tongue out. Stretch the muscles in your face as you exhale. Your mouth should be as open as possible. And then inhale. Exhale. Mouth open. Tongue out. Exhale all the air out and then Inhale again, exhale, ha, sound is strong, tongue is out, last time, inhale, exhale, all the air out, ha, and release, bringing the tongue back into the mouth, relax your face and throat, take a few deep breaths here, and that's lion's breath, how did that feel, notice the eyes, it can be uncomfortable to have that close focus, it's okay, you can work on softening the gaze, Notice if you feel warm or cool, energized or calm, and just take a moment. Also notice the mental activity. Right? Did you think that was silly? Did you think it was great? Just take a moment. It's a practice. Try this in the morning, which is a great one. As long as you're not going to frighten anyone, you can really do it anytime. I love to do it in the morning. Notice how you can approach your day, whether it's resistance related or just work or just doing the dishes at home? Can you do it without being attached to the outcome? Not doing it in order to be praised, but just enjoying the process in some way. Let me know how it goes. Until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.